You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. It is a delight to be here once again. I do want to just correct Brother Andrew on one thing. He gets the name of Glendale Baptist Church, mentioned it properly to God, but to you, we, it's Glendale uh, Baptist Church. And I have to say that for the purposes of Glendale Baptist. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. I was sharing with Glenn, this is one of my favorite preaching places. The Lord has blessed us to be able to share his word in different venues. And this is one of the places that I really delight in preaching because there's such a commitment and a, an affection for the Word of God, and it's always a delight to be here. So thank you again for having us. Uh, our text is going to be taken from Psalms 46, and I want to reference verse 10. That's our primary focus, even though we'll allude to other portions of the Psalms. But Psalms 46:10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. What a wonderful statement. Uh, This psalm is probably best known as the inspiration for Martin Luther's wonderful hymn, that battle hymn of the Protestant Reformation, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And he, the reason, uh, or the the part of the psalm that really inspired him to write that, that wonderful hymn is found in the first three verses, which actually constitutes the hope and the confidence of the people of God. Uh, Verse 1 begins, God is our our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, and though though, uh, its its waters rise and, and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its dwellings. So in this, the psalmist recognizes that God is the strength and the hope and the confidence of his people. There's a great statement from Stephen Sharnock, the wonderful uh, 16th century um, Puritan preacher. He has a chapter in his book on the attributes and existence of God on practical atheism. And what Sharnock means by practical atheism, he says, he takes the passage where it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And Sharnock argues that what he says with his mouth is different from what he believes in his heart. So he says, in the heart, there is no reverence for God, but with the mouth, he may give service to God. And that's what he calls practical atheism. So to flip the coin on that, I would say that there is a degree of what we would call practical theism. And practical theism is the idea, as I've constructed it, where we, with our mouth, reflects a knowledge and a commitment and an understanding of God that matches everything that is expressed in these first three verses of Psalms uh, Psalms 46. But in the heart or in the living out of life, 
the living out doesn't match up to what is professed. And it's for this reason that God sort of intervenes in the midst of this psalm. So, for instance, it's, it's one would say with their mouth that the Lord is our strength and our refuge and that he is a, a, a very present help in the time of trouble. That's what we say with our mouth. But sometimes in our practice, we live as if other horizontal experiences are the defining force of life. To give you an idea, as you look at the extenuating circumstances that are alluded to here, in verse 6 references the raging and the tottering of nations. And sometimes we speak with our mouth that God is our refuge, but the way we live is that we live as if the nations provide the refuge. We speak with our mouth that God is our very present help in a time of trouble, But I think practical theism tries to define God through the horizontal experiences. Therefore, God speaks in verse 10. It's as if he interrupts the psalmist and says, "But, but wait a minute, you need to be still. And I would argue this, that what God says in verse 10 is really the substance and essence of Christian liturgy both pre-fall and post-fall. And here's what I mean. When he says, be still and know that I am God, he's not saying, he's not a matter of identity, who is God? But the question is, who is in control? And I would argue that both pre-fall and post-fall, man sometimes gets confused about who's in control. Now, if you hold to a six-day creation, six literal days of creation, or seven literal days of creation, then this would actually resonate with what I'm referring to. We know that Adam was created on the sixth day, and the seventh day was the day of rest. Rest, from a fallen perspective, we think comes after you've exerted energy. So why does God create Adam on the sixth day and then on the seventh day before he goes to work, he says, rest? Well, because Adam had the privilege of naming animals and Adam had the privilege of working in the fields and he's the one that's visible and God is not. So lest he goes to work and thinks that the garden and everything that God has assigned him to do is what it is because of what he does, God says, before you go to work, look at me. Be still. Before you work in the fields, be still. Because here's what you'll notice, that in being still, what God calls us to in the liturgy and the content and the essence of liturgy and of worship in the sanctuary is to pause before his presence. And as Paul says in Romans 1, that as we contemplate the things that are, then we are able to understand more of the attributes, the invisible attributes of God. So pause before you go to work. Be still before you go to work and recognize that the fields that you're working, I made. 
The animals that you named, I made. The, the, the food and the, the fruit that you're able to eat, I've supplied it. And even as you contemplate yourself, I'm the one that's in control. So if this is a problem, or not, a, if this is a potential problem for man before the fall, how much easier is it for fallen man to become distracted, if not discouraged, if not deceived by the things that are going on around them? Therefore, God says to us in our time of worship post-fall, be still, be still, and understand that I am God. And I know the nations are raging and tottering, but you notice that, that with that clearer vision, it's an understanding that God's will is not being accomplished by the nations, but the, the raging of the nations do not disturb God's will. Yes, wars and conflicts are a reality, but they are not the ones that are in control. Here's what the Lord says to this worshiper. Be still. Be still, and somehow in our stillness, somehow in our pausing before the very presence of God, through the means of worship that he himself has appointed, that our thoughts are raised beyond capitals and beyond finances, that our thoughts are raised, and he is the one who is exalted above all of the nations. He is the one who is exalted within the earth and so we don't define ourselves by what is happening around us. But he who speaks to us and he who invites us into his presence in the moment of public worship is the one that's in control and he's in charge. Brothers and sisters, what that means is that there is not a star that shoots across the heavens, that has not been set on its course by the Creator. There is not a bird that falls within the created order that is beyond his knowledge or outside of his purpose. There is not a flaw that is not seen there is nothing that he is not aware of. God, on the Lord's day, in our times of sacred assembly, pulls us away from our ordinary routine. And he tells us, be still. You're troubled. You're concerned. But be still and know that I am the one who is in control. I know the path that you're on. I know the things that concern you. But pause for a moment. Your 
work is your work because it's been assigned. But I am the controller, and I am the sustainer of all things. Brothers and sisters, I think one of the tragedies of a lot of contemporary empty worship is the absence of transcendence. And so that too much of what takes place in the context of worship is a reflection of what's going on out there, whether it's our entertainment flavors or whatever it is. But the whole point of worship, the whole point of God gathering in the person of Jesus Christ is to get us to be still for a moment and contemplate him. And brothers and sisters, if we look at the pattern of worship that we see in Revelation 4 with the angels who worship God because he is the creator and sustainer of all things. And then we see the worship that's continued in Revelation 5 because the lamb who sits on the throne is the ruler of human history. And we don't look for political movements or moments platforms or personalities to give us a reason to worship and to exist. And so as we move to that central moment of the crucifixion and ultimate resurrection of our Savior, no matter what it is that we are going through with mass, separations, and confusion, God gathers us into this sacred space concerned about many things and he tells us, he whispers through prayers in the ministry of his word and he doesn't tell us to do more. He calls us away into his presence and he says, be still because I'm God. And the more you know it, the more in your thoughts you will see that he is exalted above the earth and above the nations. Or, as he says, I will be exalted above the nations and in the earth. And I pray that our time together is a moment of stillness where we pause before the greatness of our great, gracious, and loving God. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we come to you in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for this privilege of gathering in his name. The world around us is raging. And sometimes the raging of the world is reflected in our own hearts and thoughts. We become anxious. We become desperate. But you gather us into your sanctuary before your face 
And you lift up your crucified son before us. And you point us to the empty grave. And with this, you tell us to be still. The blood shed in the empty grave is the confirmation that you are God. Therefore, you are to be exalted above all nations. You are to be exalted by us within this earth. Thank you for your saving, sufficient, and sustaining grace. It is in the sweet name of our Savior by which we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.